Without the midichlorians, life could not exist, and we would have no knowledge of the Force. They continually speak to you, telling you the will of faking Star Wars Radio. That's right, everyone. It's another great episode of Faking Star Wars Radio, the official podcast of FakingStarWars.net. Thanks for tuning in. Here's what we have in store for you this week. A celebratory original song by none other than Storm Duper, yours truly. We have a product review, another great edition of Duel of the Fakes, the Fake-A-Meter is back. We have a Galactic Faking News interview with Mike's Tiny Shop, who dressed up a Clydesdale as an AT-AT walker. And we have lots of other great stuff, so make sure to stick around. My name is Storm Duper, and joining me for this episode, back from assassinating his family, is IG69. IG, it's great to have you back. It's great to be back, Storm Duper. That was a tough mission. So how did it go? I mean, were you successful in assassinating your entire family? Well, yes, uh, but they run really fast, so it was a lot of legwork on my part. Well, we're delighted that you're back with us and that you weren't injured in the process. Yeah, it's always good to be safe when you're assassinating your family. I do that about every other week, though. They rebuild, you know. <laughs> right, right. You just have them rebuilt. They're like family on a, of droids. Yeah, yeah. You probably have a, an entire machine to to rebuild them, right? So you have something. Oh, sure. To do. I mean, we have a whole family factory. Great, great. Well, IG, uh, you may not be aware since you were on uh, an assassination vacation, but in the last few weeks, there's been some serious, serious hype on YouTube regarding the Star Wars channel, Star Wars Theory. Are you familiar with that channel? Um, I am Stormtrooper. Well, he used uh, 100,000 Republican credits of his own money to fund, produce, and create an episode of a fan film that takes place uh, after Revenge of the Sith. Have you seen it? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite good. Yeah. Well, um, there was some controversy because uh, originally Disney gave him the green light for it, but the publishing company came in and tried to snatch $80,000 of monetized content from him, which he didn't take too kindly for, uh, because Disney had originally said that there was going to be no problems creating the film. Now, after some back and forth and some appeals on YouTube, uh, it sounds like he's actually gotten approval now to go ahead with episode two. And we here at Faking Star Wars are just so delighted that, you know, I was really inspired. So I decided to write my own kind of ode to, uh, you know, this episode of the fan film and uh, to uh, Star Wars theory himself. So I'd like to play that for you now. Would you like to hear it? Um, sure, that would be great. All right. It's called Vader's Shards. Vader Shards, do 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 do. Vader Shards, do 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 do. Vader Shards, do 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 of the past. Vader Shards, do 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 do. Vader Shards, do 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 do. Vader Shards, do 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 of the past. Padme's dead, do 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 do. Padme's dead, do 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 do. Lost the will to live, do 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 do. Give her a hug. Disney said, do 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 do. Disney said, do 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 do. It's okay, do 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 to make more shards. Star Wars theory, do 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 do. Star Wars theory, do 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 do. Star Wars theory, do do do. We wanna watch your shards. 
Vader shards do 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 Vader shards do 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 Vader shards do 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 of the past Vader shards We want to watch Vader's shards Did you say that you want to watch Vader's shards or wash Vader's shards I think that's up to artistic interpretation. So, thank you, Star Wars Theory, for all you've done for fandom and for winning against Disney and the evil empire of YouTube. We want to watch Vader's shots. So, IG, we've started to do a segment where we review uh, different properties and, and products in the Star Wars universe. Um... And one of the things we wanted to uh, mention on this episode is actually uh, Faking Star Wars' t-shirt designs, which are available on teepublic.com. That's teepublic.com slash stores slash Faking Star Wars. Now, not to toot our own horn here. We do have a lot of horns to toot, but these are some pretty awesome t-shirts. Have you taken a look at some of them? I have, and uh, they they are really, really nice designs. There's a lot of really clever ones here. And I know we've talked about them before, but boy, oh, boy, have things really exploded. Uh, Link Vox a Million has just done a fantastic job of keeping the designs fresh and uh, always updated. Um, As of the time of recording right now, there's a 30% off sale even going on. Now, that sale comes and goes, uh, you know, with the force, but there are some really cool uh, new designs up there right now. So, Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, my favorite one is the um, Fatalica, the the Boba Fett one. With, uh, the, it looks like the album cover uh, and Bounties for All. Uh, oh, as that's a Metallica a band, that really really hits me where I live. Yeah, and uh, getting ready for Episode Nine with the return of Lando Calrissian. Uh, you know, we have Ladies Love the Stash, uh, so that's also mm-hmm. a good one, especially if you're trying to pick up ladies at the uh, robot fighting uh, bar scene. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. So, and we do have a particular design which helps us out on the podcast um, because it has all three of the hosts of Faking Star Wars Radio, uh, myself, yes. uh, you, and Teeb, with our little avatars. I mean, in my case, actually, that's actually a portrait of me. But uh, in your case, I know it's an avatar of what you actually look like. But you can buy that T-shirt if you want to support the podcast. Uh, it's only fourteen dollars right now. Even when they're not on sale, they're only twenty bucks, um, which is the price of a pizza. So go ahead, get on the buy a couple t-shirts buy one for you buy one for your girlfriend if you have one and if you don't have one buy one and give it to a random girl you see on the street oh girls like it when you give them random gifts absolutely so um check it out that's t public tee slash stores slash faking star wars or you can just find it on our website fakingstarwars.net do all of the fakes Well, IG, it's time to play Duel of the Fakes, and I think this is actually your first time playing in uh, 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? That would be correct, uh, I, and I I hope that this uh, this year will uh, improve my batting average. Yeah, well, you are batting perfect right now. You have not uh, failed one time, so that's something not, to be excited about. Not. You know, you, you actually have a lot of competition because currently Teeb is one for one in 2019. 
Ouch. Yeah, so. Ouch. Yeah, a lot of pressure on you. And, uh, you know, yep. this Duel of the Fakes, uh, relating to the theme of this episode, which is all about costuming and cosplay and all kinds of stuff related to costumes in the Star Wars universe. Um, so this is going to be a little bit challenging because, you know, as a robot, you don't wear any clothes. Uh, you may no, not be so I actually, ever. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, you see, I actually thought you were a never nude for the longest time, and then I realized that you were actually just an always nude, and I didn't notice that you were nude. I'm just exceptionally hairy. Everyone <laughs> thinks I wear Angora. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Ewok. Ewok fur. So. All right. Well, here's uh, here's number one. Um, while filming Return of the Jedi, Ian McDermott first walked on set wearing a black bathrobe because his Emperor Palpatine costume had to be modified to fit his height. Um, I have a little background for you on this one. Uh, this is because Sir Ben Kingsley... Uh, if you know from, I think he was in Star Trek, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was initially cast as the Emperor, but he was dismissed for sounding too British. And uh, Kingsley's actually two inches shorter than McDermott. So when McDermott wore the robes, you could see his feet. So mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's fake story number one. Remember that you're looking for the real fake story, not the fake fake yes. stories. There are two fake fake stories in there, and one that should be fake is actually real. So... Okay. Number two, during the production for the prequel trilogy, Darth Maul's costume changed drastically to what we ended up seeing on screen. As it turns out, Maul was meant to be a female with creepy white skin, metal teeth, and long blood-red dreadlocks. And a little background on this one, George Lucas told uh, the concept artist Ian McKaig, I think that's how you say his name, uh, that he wanted a female villain for The Phantom Menace. And so he was supposed to pull images from his worst nightmares. And the last story that should be fake, before settling on the baggy burlap sack look for Rey in The Force Awakens, uh, Rey's actress Daisy Ridley pushed hard for a sports bra-like top with a cheerleader shorts-like bottom and a wide-brimmed sun hat slash helmet uh, due to filming under the hot desert sun. Uh, so the background that is, I guess, you know, Daisy Ridley complained, you know, this, this final costume wasn't helping her, you know, to withstand the elements. Every night after filming, her costume was soiled with sweat, and she could actually just wring it out into a 10-gallon bucket. Um, now, I mean, you know, the part about Daisy Ridley pushing hard for a sports bra, I mean, if she was wearing a sports bra, something would be pushing hard in my pants, but uh, we didn't get that, unfortunately, in The Force Awakens. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. So what do you think? The first one here about uh, the Emperor and his new clothes, I guess, as it were. And the second one yes. about the female uh, Darth Maul original. And uh, the third one, which is Daisy Ridley, who wanted to come out looking like a sports cheerleader in The Force Awakens. Okay, so the, the first one's a, 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 um, a black bathrobe. Right. right. So the idea was right. uh, Ian McDermott first walked on set in the first moments of filming in a black bathrobe because his costume had to be modified. Right. Because uh, Ben Kingsley was two inches shorter than him. That's correct. Okay. So the, but it's the robe, a robe, right? You know, you, I'm sorry? It's a robe, right? Right. Yeah. So two inches wouldn't make much difference. 
Um, well, I mean, if you could see the emperor's feet, it would, because it's the emperor, and if you saw his little toes, I don't think that would be very sinister. Uh, they could cut that out. I mean, but then again, a black bathrobe is pretty much the same as his costume. <laughs> yeah, but so. something to the fabric, the texture of the fabric was important, right? I mean, his robe had a very specific kind of texture, so hmm. I, I can imagine that they were trying to get it right. So they, uh, but a bathrobe doesn't have a hood. Um, I don't know what kind of bathrobes you have, but I actually have a, a Star Wars Jedi bathrobe that has a hood. It's not a bathrobe. That's that's just a Star Wars Jedi robe. Well, it functions as a bathrobe. Okay. <laughs> the second one was... Um... Well, that's the one about um, Darth Maul, who is originally supposed Yo, to be a female. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and uh, white skin, uh, red dreadlocks, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that makes sense in the sense that, you know, Lucas uh, often likes to... Uh, put in uh, female characters like he wanted apparently to make um, Indiana Jones's uh, son the uh, Mutt character uh, a daughter originally. Oh, okay. So I could see him wanting to do that. And then uh, the last one is he wanted she wanted the sports bra and short shorts. Yeah, something a little more comfortable. I don't know. See that for that one there, like if an actor was trying to push for a sun hat, uh, short shorts, and a sports bra as a character's costume, as much as that would be comfortable. Uh, she would have no understanding of Star Wars. Right. Or movie costumes. I see. Well, I mean, it would make sense because we have seen the midriff of the female lead in every other Star Wars movie. I mean, we saw Padme's midriff in Attack of the Clones. It's not the midriff, but as you describe that costume, it would look incredibly bad. (laughs) And they're not in the desert all the time, right? Like, she's got to wear that costume... A lot of movies. Yeah, even on Starkiller Base, that would look a little bit ridiculous, I suppose. So, it's a a tough one because I can kind of see all of these kind of being true. Okay. Um, I could see Darth Maul uh, being originally imagined as a a different character or a different look, a vastly different look. I can see, you know, using an impromptu bathrobe. Though, what... The bathrobe was that in, that was in a scene that was being shot, or that was just uh, like in a in a rehearsal. Um, I think it was probably you know he's walked on set uh, to kind of make his first appearance. Like it's always a big moment when a character comes out on set for the first time, and and so usually they like them to have to have their costume on. But since he couldn't, I guess it was sort of like a substitution sort of thing. All right, and they would have probably got that done within a day. So yeah, yeah I mean they could have recorded parts in. like as reaction shots, like for Vader, and they could yeah. have maybe you know worked it together somehow. Yeah, it's okay, common well, that, for actors to record stuff on set, like for their voice, not just for their costume. All of these um, could be true in in my mind. I, I can see them all happening. So, but the one I think, um, wow, it's been a while. So, <laughs> yeah, you're definitely out of practice. I can tell. Uh, your your uh, brain is smoking, Ig. I can see smoke coming out of your head. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go with. I'm gonna go with uh, number one, the bathrobe on the set for the emperor. All right. Well, I, I think that's the true one. The true one. Okay. Well, I can make it a little more interesting for you by eliminating the uh, third option about Daisy Ridley, which I think you had already deduced for yourself. Anyway, yeah, that, that seemed to be fakey fake. But after after the uh, let's make a deal ch- switcheroo, do you want to stay or do you want to change? I typically stay, and that's why I lose. <laughs> but, hmm. You know what? This time I'm going to switch because uh, okay. I, I can actually see Darth Maul being a different character. Um, Especially with the way they kind of just didn't make him a character at all. 
Congratulations. I, the force is with you this time because you're correct. Uh, the the story about Darth Maul being a female is the true story. Um, wow. Yeah. George originally liked the design, uh, you know, but actually it was later used um, and modified a bit for Asajj Ventress in the Clone yes. Wars animated series. So as I was describing it, you probably conjured up an image of Asajj. Um, well, that's the reason. Uh, he ended up passing on this design and told McKaig to draw his second worst nightmare instead, which is where the more kind of devilish appearance came from with Darth Maul. Uh, the interesting thing is about the first story, uh, the, the, uh, there is one tiny bit of truth in that, which is that Ben Kingsley was initially cast as Palpatine, and he was fired for sounding too British. Well, he does have the, the right look. Like, um, like, he would have been good in it, though. Yeah, maybe the voice isn't quite there, but um, he's certainly like you could see him pulling off the look of the Emperor. Yeah. I mean, in that Vader Shards of the Past docu- uh, uh, fan film, like the the guy who does out Palpatine there, he's probably closer to um, Ian McDermott's voice, but he has some strange Chilean accent, I think, or something like that. I don't know well, if you noticed um, that when you I, watched it. I, it, it. For 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 what that for what that uh, short was, um, I think he did a magnificent job. And um, of course, like not all the voices are quite there. Padme looks different, um, but like I got to say, that was really well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations. Uh, you and Teeb are both batting a 1,000 now in 2019. We're going to have to really uh, hit the books and try to come up with something to stump you guys in the next episode. Well played. Your insolence has made you powerful. Uh, go to hell. All right. Do all of the face. Do all. Calrissian's Custom Capes and Accessories specializes in capes and accessories made from the most luxurious and exotic of materials. Come and check out our new selection of Akle silk and Wookiee fur trimmed capes. Nothing says class like the soft, caressive Wookiee fur wrapped around your neck. Our expert staff of Lobots will assist you in finding the look that is right for you, with products available for all shapes and sizes and at prices you'd betray your own best friend for. Located on Cloud City Shopping Arcade, we are there for all of your fashion emergencies. At Calrissian's Custom Capes and Accessories, we alter the clothes, never the deal. All right, IG. Well, it's time for a new segment that we've had uh, on uh, recently where we find a Star Wars leak uh, speculation out there somewhere in the galaxy and plug it into the patented fake-a-meter and see what she spits out in your face. Are you ready to play, IG? Yep, ready to play. I mean, I suppose it's not really a game. It's more of a scientific study to verify the veracity of these leaks, but... It could be a game, I'm ready too. to input data into a giant machine. There you go. Well, do you know who uh, Benioff and Weiss are? For the benefit of our viewers, why don't you explain? 
Well, uh, Benioff and Weiss have been selected to do a pilot, a new Star Wars film. You may have heard of them uh, from Game of Thrones. They've been involved in directing and writing several Game of Thrones episodes. And uh, they are going to be doing a new Star Wars film. Up to now, there wasn't a lot of information about what this new movie or series of movies possibly might even be. But we have a hot leak uh, from FakingStarWars.net, and I'd like to share it with you, okay? All right, let's do it. First of all, uh, we have an inside source, and basically uh, it says that this project is more advanced than you may have previously thought. Um, And so the idea is it takes place uh, thousands of years before the Star Wars saga. And which planet do you think we're focusing on? Ooh, could be Coruscant? Nope, it's a planet that appeared in Rogue One for the first time. Oh, um, uh, oh, no, uh, where the Jedi Temple is. Um, yeah, Jeddah. Jeddah. So Wait. the main planet is Jeddah long before the cataclysm, you know, before the disaster of Rogue One. And interestingly enough, technology is much less advanced. So can you imagine mixing, like, medieval fantasy sort of aesthetics with Star Wars? This means, like, barely any blasters, and the kind of, like, melee weapons you might see are sort of the norm. Okay, so they've uh, taken it back kind of Game of Thrones-esque, mm-hmm. uh, but are they still spacefaring? Well, we're going to see like medieval imagery, so like kind of uh, medieval Star Wars farms, if you can imagine what a medieval moisture farm might look like, uh, alien horse-pulled carts, windmills. I mean, you can imagine how they might adapt those images for Star Wars, I guess. Okay, so I, I can understand that maybe, so it's Jeddah before it became a... Um... Uh, became a spacefaring port? Well, not clear exactly, but the thematic axis of this movie is basically an ideological conflict between the Sith Order and the Jedi (laughs) Order. So it might be something with who is controlling Jeddah or something like that. Um, The idea is that Sith believe it's their right to rule over people because they are uh, superior, and the Jedi believe that the Force should only be used to protect the weak. So it sounds like we sort of into you know Teutonic knight sort of thing. The the leader of the Sith Order is actually referred to as Sithari. Uh, don't know if that's a name or a title, um, but there's kind of this idea of the Sith being this nomadic tribe. You know, you get the idea of like maybe Genghis Khan or the Mongols or something like that. Huh. Well, so they're saying the Sith originated, the Sith and the Jedi originated on this same planet. Or at least that's where the main conflict comes. And this is because okay. the main protagonist is a Jedi girl. Okay, Disney's sticking with that. Um, who falls in love with a Sith boy. So now we're talking a little bit of Romeo and Juliet, maybe even. So very Shakespearean. Um, there's no kind of happy ending. Uh, basically, she pays for her love. And this price you know, goes on to echo throughout the galaxy for thousands of years to come ending with the Sithari being banished from Jeddah. So. Okay. That was, um, okay. Well, All right. A couple I, interesting I details. You know, other details is that the, the uh, you know, No Stars movie would be complete without a, uh, you know, super weapon. And so the, the Sithari are basically creating what is a Death Star prototype. It looks a little bit like an Aztec ziggurat. And if you can imagine it capable of shooting multiple beams of lasers out of it, sort of like the Death Star laser. And so this is basically what turns Jeddah into a desert planet to begin with. 
Okay, well, that that kind of, uh, if you've watched the uh, Rebels series, they have a sort of super Sith ziggurat on um, Moraband. Yeah, so they may be taking inspiration from that. Uh, My guess is, you know, also there's been a lot of talk about Star Wars technology not seeing a progression uh, in in the prequel movies. And so this might be a way of kind of hearkening to cries for a progression. So you see the galaxy before the days of the blasters and the uh, ships and all that. The problem with the Star Wars technology has always been that, like, they're a spacefaring um, people, right? Um, so they, anytime you have that, you have to have faster than light travel. You have to have uh, like the laser blasters and all that kind of stuff with them. But, um, then they also mixed it with a little bit of old West kind of stuff. And then, um, uh, with, uh, like some nightly sort of medieval lightsaber-ish kind of, uh, ideas where, whereas like a lightsaber wouldn't be practical in a world full of blasters, uh, right. really, um, so, so maybe um, that's why the Jedi in this series have more power because there's not really anything to contend with their lightsabers, and that's how they sort of kept control of Jedi and all that. But if you if you take it back too far, where like you're saying, okay, it's sort of medieval. Um, how do you deal with the fact that in order to get like the spaceships, you need to have advanced building technology and all the rest of that? Like, um, hmm. it, it it's a it, it's an odd thing to try when you try and um take tech take that technology back or forward it kind of messes up the the world a bit because it's hard to imagine how it could get like better or be worse right like, well that I'm, is one I'm problem like, with this another issue yeah. i think you know in terms of this being a leak i don't know it almost sounds too well conceived you know it just has that feeling of somebody <laughs> who's sitting around in his basement wearing underwear eating pizza, scratching his neck beard, uh, and just tapping away at his computer for hours on end. Um, it doesn't sound to me like something that's coming through Hollywood. So it's just something you made. <laughs> yeah, well, or my clone. Um, do you, So what do you think? I mean, let's plug it in the fake-a-meter and uh, see what we get. Hmm, okay, because I, I approve of the general idea. I'm just uh, I'm interested to see what the fake-a-meter has to say about it. Right. You know what, IG? The printer is broken. I'm going to have to uh, put another roll of uh, printer paper in here. All right. You should do that then. Yeah. We we uh, we were a little low on T-shirt sales this past month, so I, I've been rationing um, the uh, Fake-A-Meter's printer roll very carefully this month. As long as we don't ration the beer. <laughs> oh, and here we go. The answer is, it says, this leak is Jetalicious. Okay, well, that sounds promising. So uh, the fake meter says this could be, I guess, plausible. Jetalicious. This sounds very nice. This sounds like the equivalent of the Magic 8-Ball. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, hey, don't make fun of uh, the, the, the pieces that, that we put together to make the fake meter all right? I'll never get that microwave back. <laughs> 
Good. Well, there you go, and we'll see uh, what the next uh, edition of The Fake Commuter has in store, and we'll hear more about this new movie that's uh, slated for 2021 right now. Well, that cute little sound IG means that it is time for Tweet of the Week. Excellent. Yeah, we haven't had a Tweet of the Week in a while. Well, that's because no one loves you. (laughs) Oh, right. So this tweet comes to us from Willie Bobo. You can find Willie Bobo at Faking Star Wars on Twitter. And Willie writes, Star Wars fan believes a solo win for best visual effects will be more important to nerd culture than Black Panther winning Best Picture at the Oscars. Oh, a bit of a contentious tweet there. Have you been following the Oscar nominations? Um, I have not. I except I've been following more of the controversy about not having a host this year. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that got a little sticky there with um, his comments. And uh, frankly... I actually, my my name was actually in the hat to host, but um, I wanted to just pull out and and let things run their course. It's always good to pull out. As you know, uh, Han Solo was nominated for uh, Best Visual Effects, and that was its only nomination. Some people might think that's a bit of a slight. Uh, how do you feel about this? I mean, a little bit of... Uh, you know, kind of uh, social justice action going on here with the Black Panther film. Many people want to see it win because they think that that would do a lot for uh, African-American culture. Uh, Although a lot of the black uh, actors in that film are not American at all. Um, So it's more about, you know, African black culture in general. Um, But I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think uh, like Black Panther, um, a great movie. It would be, it would be interesting to see a superhero movie win best picture because that's, not something action films don't usually get nominated for that kind of thing. Like the last one I remember would be like Gladiator. Yeah, and that film yeah. it wasn't really an action and it, film, and it wasn't. Yeah, a superhero I, I always film. thought that was a poor choice for Best Picture. Oh, um, really? It, I mean, I think it was cinematically it was, amazing, but yeah. The, the Oscars they always have a, a soft spot for period pieces, though. Let's remember that. Yeah, um, and and so it's I mean, no Ben Hur. No, I mean the old Ben Hur, not the new Ben Hur. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but, the new okay, Ben Hur is uh, definitely not Ben Hur either. So, uh, you know, I think that um, it would be interesting to see uh, Solo win over Black Panther simply because the things they were doing with like the LCD screens were really interesting. I don't think Black Panther used that technique as much, and you can kind of tell when you see it. I mean, it does look pretty CG, a lot of the scenes, mm-hmm. albeit, I mean, yes, incredibly yeah. detailed. Uh, incredibly the Uncanny well Valley was quite prevalent there. Yeah, well, I mean, think about L7, I mean, uh, in Solo. That actually is an actress inside of a costume, and then they just animated bits around it. I mean, most of that performance was actually captured in camera. When I when you think about Solo as a visual movie, um, of course it has a lot of those amazing hallmarks that all, that all the Star Wars movies have. It wasn't the best costume star wars costumes i've ever seen it was kind of blasé in that way i i like the story i like the movie but uh, i can see it being kind of not nominated for as many things as it usually would be but remember Um, the the nerd here making this tweet is saying that it'll mean more to nerd culture if it wins than the black than black panther winning best picture i mean that's a bold statement i think i think that's a that's a false statement like a, a false dichotomy. The only thing that would be um, important for nerd culture it was is that it would slightly redeem the failure of Solo as a movie. 
It's total because it was a good movie that did not failure. do well at the box office. It would be nice to see that it's recognized as being a good movie. Um, so you're saying it would redeem whereas, Disney's coffers more than Black Panther would redeem anything because it made a billion well, dollars. Yeah, I mean, um, Black Panther's already a successful movie. Uh, whether it, like Best Picture, I uh, I don't know about that. I don't I don't think it'll win Best Picture. No, you know, because there are there are just movies with better acting and stuff and and usually that's what you're going for with best picture is is a movie that really has more to say it's an it was a fun action movie it's not really like it had a deep deep message to it you know um so uh but i i I would love to see both of them get uh, recognized as being great movies um however the box office already recognized black panther as a great movie and solo didn't get the get its due i think so great um it I'd like to, you know, I, I wish success on both of them. I don't really think it would be a huge hit to nerd culture um, if Solo wins or doesn't win. Um, well, we can always for, count on you, IG, for adopting the easy position. What a cop-out. Yeah. Not making any contentious statements whatsoever or taking a stance in a difficult situation. Thank you well, for I, being I, as bland how, as paint. Yes, right. Well, I don't see how Black Panther winning is going to help or hurt black culture either it's not like it's not really a movie about blackness is it you know if no if but you're forgetting when like, last of the mohicans was nominated for best picture and it won i think i mean native american culture in the united states became something that had never been before i mean all rates of alcoholism out the window uh incredible increases in opportunity and employment and and health and longevity across the entire country and all indian reservations everywhere Maybe Black Panther should take the same note that Last of the Mohicans did. Just have a white guy play the lead character. <laughs> oh, no. We should really stop while we're ahead. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do hope it wins. I enjoy Black Panther immensely. I don't think yeah, that this will do much for nerd culture because nerd culture is currently in a spin cycle of just decrepitude and angst. Um, and it's just revolving around the black hole that is Kathleen Kennedy. So, uh, you know, that's uh, not going to change with one dinky award. You'll probably find people uh, who are uh, going to come up with some conspiracy story for why the award wasn't really legitimate anyway. So, um, in that case, I think we're done. If you want to talk about uh, the, the but nerd culture, then um, a discussion on Star Trek Discovery would be a much better or more appropriate topic. Hold on. I'm trying to find my handgun. Let me blow my brains out. <laughs> Galactic taking news. Star Wars is supposed to be fun, so that's why I was excited to reach out to you because um, – one of our co-hosts actually found out about you and he was right. uh, looking to do a bit. So he found you and I thought, well, my God, I, I got to call this guy. He's doing some interesting stuff and he seems like, you know, someone who'd be interested in maybe being on the, the podcast. So, yeah. yeah, I've, I've, I've done a couple of podcasts in the past uh-huh. and um, I actually got interviewed by CNET for that thing. And, right, right. Um, and it was, it, it, it exploded uh, way more than I expected. So, <laughs> Yeah, that can happen. You know, we've had a uh, we've had a few stories go viral too, and it, it's really overwhelming. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, it was all within the span of about six days. Oh man, you that were it busy. all happened, and it was it was. I said, uh, I have friends still overseas, and they were sending me articles from um, 
from Germany and Hungary. Uh, there was an article written about it in China. <laughs> oh wow! And I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was a lot of copy paste, but sure. Um, it was. It was still overwhelming that my my idiocy in my garage managed to get that far. So. Well, we we think that idiocy is rewarded in spades in the Star Wars galaxy, you know. So we fit right in with what we're trying to do. So, <laughs> so let me ask you: um, Can I can I just call you Mike? Is that what you'd like? To be yeah, called? that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Tell us broad strokes here. How did you get into making um, the Star Wars costumes and props and just you know everything that you're you're doing? I mean, I know you don't just make costumes, but you have sort of a shop where you construct and fabricate a lot of different things. Um, I started doing, uh, I started as a model maker when I was about four years old. My dad, uh, had been building models and had been a model maker long before I was ever born. And he got me into that hobby. I just started to want to make more and more and more. I kind of by accident discovered cosplay when I went to origins in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. And I saw these people walking around in costume and I thought that's pretty neat. And I started to look into it and I realized it coincided with another one of my hobbies. I was already at that point, I was making my own reproductions of movie props that I had seen. I was already doing that. I was making models and I thought I could probably do that maybe one day. And I decided to just start making stuff from films over and over and over again. And people keep asking me to make them for them. I'm rather enjoying the process of that. That's great. So it sounds like uh, not only has this uh, personal hobby sort of spun out of control, but it's also turned into a little bit of a money-making project for you, too. Here and there, it's uh, it's a very hard uh, market, niche market to get into because uh, right. so much of it is done by reputation. Uh, at I'm least that's sure. what I've learned, and I'm very much on the periphery of it. I am, I am in no means... I am I'm by no means like steeped in it at all. Well now um, when you when you had when you actually went ahead and made the ATAT costume for the Clydesdale, did did he pay you in cash or was it like a credit account? That was done uh as a favor to a friend. Um and that was really that process began about probably a year ago. Um the horse, her name is Mona and she's uh She's 18 years old, and she's been a show Clydesdale for about 14 years. And this was to be her last show season at the World Clydesdale Show in Madison, Wisconsin. But I do believe she was at one time the top-rated Clydesdale mayor in Indiana. And now she's the top-rated ATAT uh, equine species in the world, yeah. It was sort of an offhand question, can you make an ADAT costume for a horse? And I thought, sure, why not? <laughs> Let's see if this can happen. So, sounds like you might have had be? a few shots before, you know, when that question came up. Or oh yeah, no, there was there was probably alcohol involved, but uh, <laughs> it, it was it was one of those how hard could this be kind of moments, right? And and it went from just taking some measurements and seeing if it was even possible to my entire shop being overtaken by this massive nine foot long costume of wow. an ATAT to it being on the back of a Clydesdale at the World Clydesdale Show and taking sixth place out of 42 at the largest uh, Clydesdale show in the world. That's fantastic. It's amazing, you know, when you walk through a door like that, that just starts with a question, you know, and then it just, mm -hmm. you know, that's really what Star Wars is all about in my mind is, you know, here's a question. Uh, there's a droid on a planet trying to find 
uh, somebody. And then from there, that question just you know snowballs, and we have this monstrosity of the Star Wars saga in front of us now. So, <laughs> yeah, your own and journey. I had, a, kinda... I had a, a piece of that monstrosity in my workshop for quite a long time. Well, what was the biggest challenge in creating the costume for the horse? I mean, is it custom fit? Uh, does the mane match the hooves? If you know what I mean. The the biggest difficulty in making it was ensuring that Mona, the horse, was not harmed at all or stressed by it. Right. Um, we just, we decided early on when we actually pulled the trigger, if you will, on making this costume, that if at any point Mona was stressed by this, was not happy with this costume, that we would just abandon the whole project because we did not want to risk the horse. Oh, um, of course not. But she was completely fine with it through the whole thing. She could not have cared less what we were doing. Uh, and <laughs> we modified, it took so long to make it because we kept modifying it to fit her, to fit her comfort and to make sure that she wasn't affected, affected negatively by it in any way. Like she can't really just ask her if she's okay. You can, um, but you'll just, just you'll just sound like a nut if you explain that you've heard an answer back. Right. And <laughs> just based on, on the owner's experience with her and her knowledge of, of the horse and the horse's body language and whatnot. We, we finally, we, we nailed down the costume. We, we were almost a hundred percent sure it was going to work because you never know. Right. And got to the, the show. And ultimately the head that you see in the, the picture that everybody has seen was not used. Is that um, okay? Yeah, it was, it was a, a much, uh, a much simpler version of that. Because uh, Mona was already stressed being surrounded by so many other horses. And then <laughs> when we got into the arena, she absolutely flipped out because of another horse's costume. The other horse was dressed as a sunflower. And oh, I thought you were going to say it was dressed much. as a snow speeder or something. <laughs> no, not a snow speeder. <laughs> um, she was, she was, the, there was another Clydesdale dressed, uh, had a big sunflower uh, on her head. And that was apparently all it took. Oh, right. <laughs> Mona was having none of it, but, um, and she, she had a bit of a freak out, but it, the costume survived it though. If the rebels had used, you know, sunflowers on Hoth, they might've, uh, maybe survived more and there may have been less casualties and we might've had a totally different movie. So <laughs> probably, but unfortunately sunflowers, as we all know, do not survive in Norway. No, they don't. <laughs> Well, so you've disguised the horse uh, Clydesdale uh, as an AT-AT walker. Uh, for your next trick, would you consider disguising Kathleen Kennedy as Jabba the Hutt, for example, or what do you have in mind? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think she needs any any more negativity thrown at her than she's <laughs> already gotten. So um, it's oversaturated. <laughs> yeah, maybe a bit. <laughs> yeah, we we like to stir uh, that pot from time to time. It's all in good fun, though. No, fair enough. Fair enough. The, <laughs> the the last the last film was not what I expected. Um, no, and I don't I don't like to throw stones, but it was not. Uh, it it was it was about five different movies, and none of them were talking to each other. Basically. There you go. Well, would you would you would you like to respond to to that movie by doing a more classic character with a different kind of animal, uh, a bigger challenge, for example? Uh, I don't know. Um, there's there's zoo animals that you you could look at or maybe pets. I mean, you yeah, you could mod market this. After my experiences with uh, making making this costume for Mona, the likelihood of me making another costume for an animal is very slim. Um, it yeah. was it was extremely stressful. It was extremely time consuming, and it was it was done as a one off. 
So it is not something that I will probably ever do again. I'll make costumes for people, um, but probably never again for an animal. <laughs> Unless they ask for it specifically, right? <laughs> Unless the animal asks for it specifically. If, if the animal with its own voice asks me to make the costume, then I'll consider it. Um, so we know that you have applied uh, for a Guinness Record uh, certificate uh, for having, yep. uh, you know, this the largest ATAT costume for a horse or something in, along those lines. What what can yep. our faker audience and fans and followers on Twitter? Uh, what can they do to kind of help you in that in that uh, mission that you have to get that Guinness, Guinness Record? Well, right now, uh, it is all in the hands of the fine people at Guinness. Uh, I have sent in my application, and I await their response, which can take, uh, from what I understand, anywhere between 12 weeks and uh, until they decide to respond. So um, it's it's all a matter of time right now, just waiting. Uh, and then once I hear a response back, because it is a completely new category, uh, there has never been, uh, as far as I can tell, a uh, an attempted world's largest Star Wars costume for a horse. No one has ever, no one has ever done that, as far as I'm concerned, or at least as far as I know. I, I am pretty sure that after hearing this podcast, that's not going to be the case anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, probably you'll never you'll never hear anybody go on about it again. But um, I have to wait to see if they will, first of all, accept the category. Sure. Um, uh, and if they will, then I have to, there's a, a process to prove it and to send them dimensions, et cetera. Uh, and then after that, I wait to see if they decide to give me the, the thumbs up and then I get my certificate and I hang it on the wall and move on. <laughs> Very good. Well, if there's anything we can do, you know, we're, we're definitely uh, advocates for our guests' uh, interests and goals. So we, we, uh, we consider this part of our community now. You are part of the faking uh, Star Wars community, so you can consider us friends in that way. So Fantastic. Yeah. Now, uh, you were mentioning a little bit about your kind of disappointment with The Last Jedi, and I, I'm sure that you're like many fans, you found there were some good points and some bad points, but overall maybe it just didn't click with you. You know, I had a similar experience uh, when I viewed it. Actually, the first the first day I saw it three times because I wasn't sure what I thought of it, and I, each time I had a different experience. Um, in hindsight, I think it was a good film as a film, but I'm not sure it's a great Star Wars film. But... Uh, you know, Disney definitely has gotten a lot of uh, vitriol for their new films that they've they've added to the to the saga and the canon. Um, how have how has your kind of work developed as a prop maker and as a, you know one who makes replicas and things like that? Um, as Disney has has come along in the last three or four years and created all this new new uh, product. Um, I've I've enjoyed a lot of the new props that they have created, uh, particularly. The one that struck me the most was, was Rogue One. Uh, they went back and they they kind of modeled the props al along the same lines that they did with the original trilogy. They used old found military equipment and modified it into props that are used in Star Wars. And they kind of followed that same formula with Rogue One. And with The Last Jedi and Force Awakens, you saw a little bit of that too, but they were they were just sort of rehashing some of the same props from the original trilogy. And I like seeing that. I like seeing them carry that forward with the, the prequels. They abandoned that entirely and just made everything new, which didn't really kind of fit. I thought, and that was just sort of my opinion. 
Mm-hmm. But it, it, it opened up a lot more doors for a lot more things that I could make. Like, um, of course, the, the, the stormtroopers, their weapons didn't change. They were the same. The, the, the blaster is still based on the Sterling submachine gun, which um, the British Sterling submachine gun, which is exactly what the Bafti armories did uh, when they made them for the first three films. Um, but Jen Erso's character, her sidearm was a PO-8 Luger, a German Luger pistol that just had some bits added onto it. And I right. thought that was great. That was that was a wonderful little detail that they added in, that they just took an old World War II weapon, like they did in the original trilogy, and threw some stuff on it and called it a blaster. Just welded and here, I, uh, you yeah, know, they, a nut here, a wrench here, a few screws, and, and made something yeah. new. They, they glued some bits on, and, and, and that was it. And that's exactly what they did in the original trilogy, and I love that. I love that style of prop making, that find something and then make it into something else. Uh, whereas a lot of times nowadays, it's all, it's all designed, uh, 3D modeled from scratch, custom, and then it's printed out or it's, it's prototyped in that way. So they don't really go like they did at one time to secondhand shops and Army-Navy stores and just find stuff and make things out of it. I and, see. and I think props from that era really excite me and to see them in a modern film being done the same way was was very very interesting to me yeah it's probably a more expensive process to to actually do the ret, the research and the ret you know retconning of these things i guess and putting them into the star wars universe than than having the total freedom to just make something out of scratch in a magic box right i mean you have to actually oh, yeah. find Absolutely. these objects sometimes they're probably expensive even because they have history to them and maybe they were even used in a war so you're talking about a, an object that actually is already imbued with meaning and then you have to carefully find a way to um adapt it to to a cinematic purpose oh yeah and and as you said, some of those parts that those were made from are extremely, it's sometimes extremely rare and often extremely expensive. A friend of mine has a hobby where he, he is trying to find all of the original found parts that were used to make the different lightsabers from the original trilogy. Wow. And one of those, and they're extremely expensive, a lot of those parts. I mean, most of them, well, some of them anywhere were based off of the Graflex tube, which is from the old tiny cameras with the big, flash bulb on the end it was the tube that right. was on the side of the camera there i mean i've seen them go for hundreds and thousands of dollars when they become available is and, that what that box of uh, tubes is out in my garage that my grandfather right? had I, you, could, you know i always wonder i thought the right they looked vaguely familiar graflex you could retire off of it wow um <laughs> there and, and like all right i gotta is, go I'm, is, I'm headed to the bank no i'm kidding Okay. Okay. Um, like the emitter on the end of one of the lightsabers is actually a part from a jet engine from a Gloucester meteor, which is a, a post-war British oh, wow. jet fighter. Huh. Uh, there, parts of a World War One rifle grenade were used. Uh, they just, just and and then and what the parts are and where they came from are well storied. A, a lot of people have done a lot of research to find out what those things are made from, and the problem is finding them. Because some of them were specific to Britain, uh, they were it was it came from equipment that was used by the British, uh, or made in Britain and was rarely ever brought to the States. So finding it in the United States is very difficult. Uh, and some of it is dedicated military equipment from the past, which runs into the realm of military collectors, which I am also one of. I see. And you cross over and you end up just having to pay huge amounts of money to lay your hands on this stuff. And a lot of military collectors know that people are trying to make these things. So if they find out you're a prop maker, 
the price goes up. Oh, of so. course. Well, you know, this is interesting because there was a story, I think it was last week, um, someone was trying to sell at an auction, I believe, one of the original, in quotes, uh, lightsaber props that was used in A New Hope. And Mark Hamill himself actually came out and debunked uh, I guess, for lack of a better word, this prop saying that, you know, uh, I think it's very speculative, hard to believe that this is uh, one of the original lightsabers that I use. So, I mean, in the art world and, and in, in the prop making world, there's a lot of over overlap where, you know, fakery is rampant. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, if faking Star Wars came to you and said, hey, we'd like you to create some fake props and then we could sell them for millions of dollars uh, and, and delude people, would you have any ethical problems with that? I would have an enormous amount of ethical problems with that. <laughs> uh, being as I am also a prop collector, a, a streaming prop collector, um, I, I don't want to buy fakes. <laughs> I, I don't want to find out after I've purchased it that it's a fake because I spent a lot of money on this. I I want it to be the original thing. And when I make props, I try to make them as close to screen accurate as possible. Right. And, but I will always put my name on it somewhere. Oh, okay. So, that, so what was your so most that, uh, interesting way you had to kind of get your name hidden into one of the props you made? Um, I made the four stones from the fifth element. Uh, if you, if you know what I'm sure. talking about, oh, yes. uh, the Bruce Willis film, uh, the four stones were uh, kind of a, a holy grail prop for me. I always wanted them. And I 3D printed a set of them. And they're hollowed out. Uh, they're they're not solid in any way, just to make printing easier. I did, I think, a really nice finished job on them, made them look like stone. I think I spent 50, 60 hours weathering them and getting them just so that I was happy with them. Oh, and wow. all I was doing it for was to put them on a shelf. <laughs> but I sign all my work. And I actually, I had to use a paintbrush that I broke the end on so it was at an angle to get inside and paint my name somewhere where it couldn't be scrubbed off. Wow. So, and it, it, it took a while to get it done. And like all of the helmets I make, um, most of them have an inner layer of foam padding. And underneath that foam padding, I often put my name under there uh, just so that it's, if need be, it can be proven. And you I don't, don't put any of your personal like, DNA in there, too, do you? I've heard of artists doing that, and that can get a, get a bit sticky that and seems, gross, especially that, if you're wearing a helmet. That's, that's a bit unhygienic, so probably not. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> no, I, I generally just sign it or initial it, and then that's it. Talking about helmets, I know that you have a project coming together in August at Indie Comic Con where you've created. Uh, is it up to 22 helmets for Spaceballs? Um, tell yes. us a little bit about that and the helmet-making process and what's going on with that project at Indie Comic Con. Well, I uh, I found a um, – it's, it's essentially just a lampshade. It's a spherical lampshade that's 12 inches in diameter at Home Depot. And after doing a little bit of research, I realized that it was the right size for the helmet for the Spaceballs. The guy is in white that are on board Spaceball One that you see all over the place. The ping pong heads. And the ping pong heads, yeah. And I made one of those helmets. And it dawned on me that I could probably get a lot of people to put these on. Uh, and I've been slowly gathering people together that are already going to Comic-Con anyway uh, to take part in just a whole bunch of people dressed as Spaceballs characters, not for any specific reason, just because it's silly. Just to have um, fun, absolutely. I'm... Yeah, the the plan is to have at, at least a dozen, if possible, uh, realistically, 
uh, folks dressed as space balls. Um, and then uh, a good friend of mine, actually the uh, owner of the horse uh, that we were just talking about. Mona. Uh, dre- Mona, yeah, <laughs> dressed as uh, as Colonel Sanders. <laughs> very good. And then myself dressed as a very tall, dark helmet. You know, that movie has sort of been the quintessential uh, example for us here at Faking Star Wars of how to do parody and satire right, you know, of the Star Wars universe. I mean, it was so far ahead of its time, and it's still a treasured film. Actually, one of our co-hosts got married uh, recently um, dressed as Prince Lone Star because he is absolutely (laughs) obsessed with Spaceballs. So what advice do you have for someone who's interested uh, but maybe hasn't fully gone down that path of getting involved, you know, creating cosplay costumes, props, um, but maybe they're, like, dangerously close to the edge and they want to get involved a little bit in in what you're doing? Advice as far as that would be to just pull the trigger and do it. Um, I, I went back and forth about doing it for years. Was I, did I have the guts to, um, to dress up as another character and, or dress up as something that I enjoyed and then walk around and have people judge me. I was always worried about is, is this good enough? Is it not good enough? It doesn't matter. It's about enjoying yourself while playing a character or at least dressing up as a character to go around and just take part in that, that community of people that do the exact same thing. And I've seen people that, that threw together their cosplay that day right. that were enjoying themselves tremendously. And also people that are professional cosplayers that put hours and hours and hours and hours into these beautiful, beautiful costumes. And they enjoy it just as much, not because of their costume is so great and wonderful, but because they're just taking part in this community and showing off the work that they do. And no matter what the quality is that you start with, you will get better with time. When I first started doing this, it was garbage. But it's gotten better over time because I just practice and practice and practice. And just just do it. Just pull the trigger and start because why wait? Well, now, if I happen to be at Indie Comic Con next year in Indianapolis, um, would you be able to make me a Spaceball helmet that would actually fit over my normal Storm Duper helmet? Because the problem is I can't take it off. And when I take it off, there's just another helmet underneath there. Um, and it's sort of this <laughs> continual thing. So I would need, like, maybe an extra large size. Um, I'm sure that we can make it happen. Um, you would just you would just have to buy your own jumpsuit. That's okay. it. Uh, uh, it's, that's, it's, that's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a white painter suit. I'll send you the Amazon link. Great. Uh, well, I look and, forward to, you know, we may get, just get a correspondent there to the to the uh, Comic-Con and do maybe we'll record a whole episode live at Indie Comic-Con. So, at Comic-Con? Yeah. There you go. And you can, you can watch me go through my, what is it? I think I'm up to 11 costume changes for the whole Comic-Con at this stage. Oh, so. wow. Great. Well, um... Uh, you know, it's really nice to talk to you, Mike. Um, we really, you know, here here at Faking Star Wars Radio, we're always interested in highlighting what we what we consider to be fans who are doing something a little bit more original and new and and fresh, and people who have put their heart and soul into something so that we can crush their dreams by making fun of them on the radio. And I really appreciate you putting yourself out there and letting letting yourself be a victim. Uh, but you know, what kind of collaborations could you envision with us here at Faking Star Wars in the future, or for our fans? Um, is there anything you'd like to tell our fans? Uh, anything you'd like to promote? Um, I know, I know, you have an Instagram and a Facebook page uh, and a Twitter account. Um, basically, any anything you want our fans to do f- for you, uh, this is the time. 
um, if anyone wants to see the work that I do or get a hold of me or ask questions or contact me about commissions, um, just get on any social media and type in Mike's Tiny Shop because I'm not original. I just use the same thing over and over again. Okay, Mike's Tiny Shop, all one word. I do have one other thing, though. If oh, yes. All right. Please. Um, I will, yeah, I will actually also be at Spring Make uh, in Cleveland in April. Okay. Um, just as an attendee, uh, walking around, learning as much as I can about uh, uh, content creation for YouTube. Because uh, just after Indie Comic Con in September, uh, my YouTube channel, also called Mike's Tiny Shop, um, will be going live. And it will just be videos about me making stuff and making fun of myself. Very good. Now, when is that? when is that channel going live? Uh, in September. In September. Oh, wow. You have this well planned out in the future. I'm making a lot of content so that I never have delays in content. I've been, I started filming last, uh, well, it would have been July was when I started making, that was when I started filming. And I'm, I'm having to teach myself video editing because I know nothing about it. Oh, wow. uh, so okay. it's, it's a process for me to learn. So I've set, I've set my time at September to give myself enough time to create content so there's no interruption. Well, maybe we'll have to interview again when that channel goes live because it sounds like it's going to be a, a fantastic addition to the galaxy. So That'd be great. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Mike, and uh, may the foe be with you. And you, sir. Galactic Taking Well, Storm Duper, I'd like to unveil a new feature of Faking Star Wars Radio. Oh, what is it? Well, as the ad executive for Faking Star Wars Radio, um, I've been inundated with so many ad requests from people with um, creative new Star Wars products that I simply do not have time to um, formulate all of these new advertisements. The production burden must be excruciating. So I've developed a brand new algorithm based on all of the top most successful ads from various medias to generate procedurally uh, an advertisement for any product. It sounds amazing. Oh, yeah, and it'll take a lot of work off us, and uh, I think um, it'll help uh, a variety of products um, just you know put their message out there in the best way possible. Because well, we all know a machine is infinitely superior to a human. Absolutely. We we have such a backlog of advertisements, uh, companies trying to get ad space on the podcast. So this will really help our bottom, uh, you know, our bottom line, I think, too. Yes. So uh, the first product, uh, the prototype, if you will, uh, is the new Scythalator. Oh. I've run it through the Algamatron and let's see what it we come up with. Sith will be Sith. So now, buy a Scythalator to get rid of all that pesky masculinity. It's got six million different blade surfaces and is filled with lots of feminism. This is a product you must have. It's perfect for those warm summer nights when you and a special someone need to take a stroll. Stroll down the romantic sandy beaches of Mustafar with confidence. Open its secret compartment to give yourself just a little bit more of an edge. So it's great for walks on the beach and great for Kathleen Kennedy. Did I mention she loves this product because feminism? Made from 100% recycled droids and available for a limited time only. Call 555-SITH and get your hands on a shiny Scythalator. Perfect for all those Mustafarian dalliances. So what did you think, Storm Duper? Uh, I think I need to go take a bath. I feel really well, I dirty mean, right now. 
I don't even know what this product is, but I've already ordered five because feminism. It is pretty convincing, I have to say. Um, how are you going to market this and license this, the uh, the Al- Algamatron, or is that going to be a faking Star Wars exclusive? I think for now it'll be an exclusive. Uh, we'll see what we can do. Uh, perhaps someone's made an even better Algamatron that can market my Algamatron. Wow, wow. So a meta a meta, a Algamatron. Exactly. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the word on our sponsors. And if you are interested in buying radio time on Faking Star Wars, uh, you can write a letter to our home offices now located in Dubuque, Iowa, and we will respond to you in several months with the conditions of airing your advertisement. Well, IG, you know, um, I've been thinking about this topic for a long time about Star Wars costumes. Uh, it's been such an influential thing in terms of, you know, cosplayers and, and all that. I mean, my first Halloween costume was actually dressed as myself, uh, a stormtrooper. And it's just something that seems to resonate with a lot of people. Hmm. So you were born with the mask because I've never seen you take it off. Some or people are born with a silver spoon. I was born with a stormtrooper mask. That's that's an unfortunate birth defect, but all right. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I gave you the task, uh, you know, preparation for the podcast. I mean, you're not known for being prepared for anything. Uh, but this week, I asked you to come in with uh, your choice for your um, amazing or fantastic costume from the prequel original and sequel trilogies. So three mm-hmm. costumes. Uh, are you ready? Yes, so uh, I've taken the ridiculous side, and you've taken the amazing side. So That's right, yeah. we're going to talk about what we think's great or ridiculous. We would never trust you to actually pick out anything of quality, so that's why no, I gave you that uh, task. No, I, I don't wear clothes. Right. <laughs> so what did you come up with for the uh, prequel trilogy? Well, I thought the most ridiculous costume was pretty much everything Queen Amidala wore. <laughs> to a lesser extent, everything that Padme wore. I mean, if we were dividing those two as uh, kind of two different characters, they, I thought the Queen's costumes were just, they weren't good Queen costumes, never mind good Star Wars costumes. So I, I just thought they made no sense um, at all. Even by comparison, like when you look at what other people on Naboo, like the other advisors and stuff, like it, it was it, over the top. So you're saying it seemed like it came from some sort of like design group sat around in a cubicle for several years, uh, squaring away and just pushing out content until somebody finally put a rubber stamp on it? Um, I'd say it was like a colorblind child tried to draw a picture of what a queen looked like. Well, that's interesting because I actually chose Queen Amidala's costume of when she appears to the Senate and asks them to, uh, you know, do something about this attack on their sovereignty now. You might remember the costume with her giant hairpiece with I, these two massive dreadlocks hanging down on either side. That's exactly what I'm talking about. See, I think that's a fantastic costume inspired, you know, uh, from the hair buns, I think, of the original trilogy, uh, but with just an interesting cultural touch. Uh, I know that you've traveled, uh, you know, uh, fleeing authorities to Mongolia, uh, as I've been there myself, and I, I saw that uh, that costume actually almost completely ripped off from traditional Mongolian, uh, you know, uh, ceremonial garb. Yeah, we well, we've both been there, and um, when we see pictures of like their old uh, royal families and stuff, yes, very similar. However, I would say identical. Um, I can't detect the difference. 
Okay, less ostentatious with less elaborate hair. Um, the Mongolian like hats, you know, like that's where like the conical princess hat came from uh, originally was the Mongolian traditional um, uh, royal headwear. I see. And well, for the reason that it, I mean, I like Mongolian culture and I like the nods to uh, real things in the real world because I believe Star Wars is real. Um, anyone who says differently, I don't have any time for you. I, I like the fact that they brought in that Mongolian touch to the Nabooian sartorial world. I don't think it made sense in a Star Wars world. Okay. Um, Princess Leia's hair was um, like functional. Again, she's she was raised on Alderaan. Should be a completely different culture, right? But um, it, it she had the hair buns. You know, obviously a way of curling up her hair and. Um, it looks a little funky and, and weird, but that's okay. It, it was a simple um, style. Like, that was – it was over the top again, like someone just trying too hard. I think, IG, we're just going to have to agree to disagree in this case. If it happens again, I'm out of here. You're going to have to host each podcast all by yourself. Fair enough. All right. Well, for the original trilogy, I came up... I, th I, mean, I just don't think there's going to be any disagreement on this one. If there is, I'm out of here right now. Um, I picked the Boba Fett's costume uh, as, as my favorite costume of the original trilogy. I think the most amazing costume. Just completely out of left field. There's there's nothing similar to it in any, uh, any other science fiction film that I can think of uh, before or after. Uh, so iconic, just just an amazing uh, triumph of costume design. Oh, I I would absolutely agree with uh, Boba Fett being the awesomest uh, single costume out of the original set. Mo I loved almost all of the costumes out of the original series, but um, his is very special. It, it's it just it just says awesome. It just says like that's a badass bounty hunter. Perfect. It perfectly mirrors his character too, doesn't it? I mean, it has that kind of corrupt feel, um, that sense of being a loner, also by his so hodgepodgey kind of. You know, you get the feeling that he pieced this thing together over time, right? Well, uh, when we watched, when the original came out, we didn't really know much about Mandalorian culture or anything like that. So yeah, that's that's exactly what it portrayed, and I thought it it pulled like it's pulled it off really well. So um happy there. I, I have one costume from the original series that I always thought was um, um, slapped together. Can you guess what it is? Oh, man. Um, it's not an Ewok costume. That would be too simplistic for somebody of your intellectual caliber. Uh, no, low-hanging fruit on that one there. And the costumes themselves are fine. Yeah, I'm going to say... It's just I don't like the idea of the Ewoks. Right. Okay, I'm going to... Like, but if you're going to make a teddy bear race, that's how you do it. Right. Is it um is it from the original A New Hope? Um yes. Okay. It's not a Princess Leia costume. No. No. Ah, I bet it's some some uh, kind of trooper or some sort, like some Death Star guy or something. Well, yes, I I thought you were going to go with the Wolfman because he's um it, it's a horrible ma like Halloween mask on a guy. Right. But I didn't, you know, he's in one scene, you barely see him. Uh he's not really 
Um, I, I don't really care about that costume per se. It was just a, a way to have an extra in the background. Well, I guess I was sort of thinking like clothing in the world, not the actual yeah. makeup effects and all that kind of thing. So like, I mean, yeah, we can, if we get into that, then we're going to be yeah. here for way longer than anyone has patience for. So it's actually the uh, Death Star Trooper, which is um, like they have the Stormtroopers, which I love those those costumes. But uh, the troopers on the Death Star uh, wear black, like just a black cloth suit. And they have this ridiculously large, um, like, basket helmet. It's sort of like a conical kind of ping-pongy thing. I mean, you can see how Spaceballs rift on it, right? Yeah, well, that's exactly the point. Spaceballs rift on it. Like, Lord Helmet's helmet is a... It is one of those, but with a Vader mask, giant Vader mask shoved in the it's front. Almost it's almost like it's, a hood in plastic, right? Yeah, like it It makes no sense from a practical point of view. All of the other Imperial uh, troopers, like the uniform makes sense. I that see. one is like, why are you wearing that ridiculous helmet? It doesn't do anything other than like just awkwardly sit on your head. Well, maybe the specific places where they worked were subject to a lot of, uh, you know, kind of um... – defects in the ceiling and they had to protect their shoulders from falling debris uh, it doesn't really do that though because most of it sticks out over their back right right well maybe there were some rabid alien species loose on the death star kind of like a vermin species who uh made their attacks by way of massage mm. and so they were trying to uh prevent that i that would i'm guessing that's what um uh, the Death Star was most known for is massage-based attacks. <laughs> Death Star massage <laughs> parlor. <laughs> yeah, the, it just got out of hand. All of the masseuses escaped into the ship's uh, like uh, bowels and started coming out attacking people. Oh dear, I don't want to know what a happy ending in a Death Star massage parlor looks like. No. no. <laughs> All right. Well, we've gotten to the sequel trilogy. Then, um, which uh, costume did you choose for your most ridiculous, absurd? Third example of a costume, and I'll come up right after with my uh, decision of the best, most original, interesting costume of the sequels. All right, so from the sequels, I enjoy most of the costumes, uh, except I do not like Supreme Leader Snoke. Oh, you know what the best costume is in the sequels is Supreme Leader Snoke. Yeah, we're going to agree to disagree on this one. Oh, no. Well, you know what that means, IG? It means that the podcast is going to have to end right now, and you're going to have to take care of listener mail and the outro all by your little lonesome, unless you can sweeten the deal and give me a reason to stay here with you and keep you company. Rather than sweeten the deal, I shall alter the deal. (laughs) (laughs) And pray I do not alter it any further. I mean... I understand why people don't like it because it's so weird. And I think part of the reason is they were expecting him to look more menacing. But I actually think that's why it's cool. Uh, to me, it had almost like a – you ever play with G.I. Joe's like King Cobra Commander? Mm-hmm. Like that, oh, yes. That figure had that very gold, shiny, gilded look. And I thought that made Snoke a little bit more sinister in that he's so obsessed with power and, and like kind of had this uh, – you know, trumped up, uh, if I can use that word, view of himself. Um, so that's why I thought the gold robe was effective. I, I didn't actually mind the color. Like, the gold robe uh, or gold uh, something would have been fine. Uh, I thought it looked like Hugh Hefner's smoking jacket. Like, it's it, it, it was like it's so casual for a Supreme Leader. It's like It's like him walking around in his jammies. But is I mean, isn't that something we all wanted to see? Is Supreme Le- Supreme Leader Snoke in a speedo? 
Yeah, a gold speedo, a golden spe- a golden sequined, you know, befettered with uh, you know, uh, blinking lights, you know. Yeah. Um, your like, like he got his hands on a bedazzler. And yes, <laughs> exactly, down. exactly. I think that's really uh, that was in reshoots. I think was some idea that they came up with, but they decided not to go with it. Um, yeah, I think it's a brilliant costume. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, it's, think about it's all... the design of the robe more than the color of the robe. I I just thought it looked just. It's the way it hangs, as you're saying. It, something maybe, about the way Snoke hangs. It's, it's, it look. It looks like he's wearing a silk bathrobe. And it's not, not uh, anatomically correct. What I, yeah, I don't even, I don't even know. Like it, uh, it just, it didn't, it didn't do anything for me. If it you didn't, will, it didn't fulfill your yeah. imagination of what was lurking underneath Supreme Leader Snoke's drawers. Yeah, maybe they needed to have like a a little more bulge down there or something. I don't know. It's just it, it was not a. Uh, I I thought it was a the worst thought out costume like everything else sort of captures a little bit of the personality of the person wearing it and i don't know what i'm supposed to get out of snoke other than he uh appreciates comfort over um style i don't know ig i thought it was sexy as and i mean i think this is something that that we're going to see in future merchandising for star wars uh you know a snoke calendar uh snoke speedos snoke spanks you know, something about uh, Andy Serkis playing Snoke lended itself to that sort of sexual energy. And I think it's only because of the influence of Kathleen Kennedy's kind of focus on feminism that we haven't seen uh, more attention given to the studliness of Supreme Leader Snoke. You know, um, they should have made him ripped. Yeah, I I think I think that was part of his appeal really is is uh, every little boy really wants to be like Supreme Leader Snoke and have that kind of sexual t- uh, energy. So he and Kylo can kind of have like like sort of um bodybuilder muscle show offs and uh stuff like that. You can see you can imagine a subtext in which Kylo killed Snoke because he knew that Rey was actually hot for him and so he mm. had to get rid of his uh his competition. Agree to disagree on that um well, That's if you uh, you know if you're out there you're listening, and you just you're not sure what to make of this. Get on us on Twitter. I'm at DuperStorm, uh, and the question really is: Is Snoke sexy? Um, so go ahead and post your comments on Twitter, and if we like them, we'll get back to you uh, next episode with a response. I think this chapter is left unwritten. Uh, Ig for a future cast, we're going to have to come back to it. I think there's a lot more to discuss, yeah, in the uh, in the costume and set designs. I mean, we haven't even gotten into the type of linen used, the uh, weave established, and the meanings attributed to that. Um, there's a whole lot of historical uh, context that we can bring into the design of fabrics. Uh, this topic can be beaten like a dead tauntaun ten times over. Oh, and, and if there's one thing we like to do, it's beat dead tauntauns. Absolutely. My favorite hobby. All right. Faking Star Wars listener mail. Why, well, gee, I know you're exhausted uh, from all the changes of clothes that you've been going through to try to impress me on this episode. Um, but I just ask for your patience. Uh, we have listener mail, and this is a really interesting question. Do you have a little bit more energy in you to capture this? Sure. So who's sending us mail this week? Very intriguing name. Uh, this is a Twitter handle at Doctor Flapjack. So, at uh, Doctor Flapjack has been a longtime fan of faking Star Wars, and 
I actually don't know if this is a he or a her, so I'm going to leave them gender uh, ambiguous here. Dr. Flapjack writes, do you guys think... So, I mean, they're already presuming that we can think, which is a big step in the right direction. Do you guys think Solo should have been nominated for Best Costume Design in the Academy Awards 2019? Some of the new Trooper armor and Lando's wardrobe were so good. Very interesting question, IG. I'll let you take this one. Well, okay. Um, refresh my memory. Was Rogue One um, nominated for a costume design Oscar? I don't think so. Yeah, then I don't... Like, Solo's costumes were great because Star Wars already has great costumes. They didn't really expand on the costumes significantly. Like, they were all very well done, but it's not original. You can't win an award for the same costumes again and again and again. So the two costumes that stick out in my mind in uh, in Han Solo, uh, both played by minor characters... Uh, do you remember the uh, authority on the Spice Mines of Kessel who comes out and negotiates um, with yes. Kira? His costume, yes. very, very cool. Um, he's got mm-hmm. some weird pipe that he's sucking on, and who knows what's going on with that and the two tubes thing. That's a motif that yeah. we've seen in some of the uh, later Star Wars sequels, uh, also in Rogue One with, I think his name was Tony Two Tubes. Uh, really interesting costume, very cool. Uh, and then the other costume that we've talked about before is, uh, is that costume of the lounge singer on Dryden Voss's yacht. Mm-hmm. And just a spectacular costume, that that whole gold uh, thing that she had going on. Man, that was really memorable. I'm surprised that there hasn't been more cosplay for her. Well, again, minor character, so you know people would prefer to go to something a bit more... Uh, either a main character or someone that's uh, or like a, a trooper or something that's you know there's many people wearing the same costume yeah. you know but I, I just think that it was it was great but it wasn't special uh the costume design wasn't special for a star wars movie not special enough anyway lando's wardrobe was good i would just say it was believable i don't think that there was anything about it particularly that led me you know into the academy award arena no, and did it top his original costume? Well, actually, that's something I wanted to talk to you about anyway. Um, there, there's been a lot of discussion, you know, before Disney even bought the uh, uh, Star Wars franchise about the costumes, the pants specifically that Han Solo and Lando uh, wear in the original trilogy. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a whole kind of understanding of all of this and how it fits together with their backstories uh, before uh, Disney changed the canon of the EU. What exactly is that related to? Let me give us a little bit of insight. Well, as I understand, uh, La- uh, not, not Lando, uh, but um, <clears throat> Han Solo's um, uh, pants with the red stripe, right? The iconic red stripe it's, it's, pants. It, I believe it was called a Corellium blood stripe. It's, uh, I think it signified that he was uh, at one point a member of their um, pilot's academy. I see. I believe, I, I believe that was uh, where that came from. Um, there, there is old pilot pants. Like, so it's sort these of a are not something piece. he bought at Goodwill. I mean, this would have been something no, that he no. stole when he left the academy or something like that. Yeah, and I assume that if, like, when Lando wears them, he just borrowed some clothes from the Millennium Falcon's locker because Lando wasn't Corellian. 
in the escape in the escape from uh, Bespin with, on the Millennium Falcon, maybe Lando soiled himself. Is that what you're saying? Well, and he, he didn't have time to, to grab his own wardrobe, and we do know that he likes to go with a very large wardrobe. Right, right. Perhaps bought from Calrissian capes and <laughs> shoes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, interesting. So, um, I mean, but, you know, a lot of interesting stuff going on with the costumes, but maybe not enough to take us to the level of Academy Award. So, um, sorry, Dr. Pancakes. Uh, oh, Flapjacks, I guess. Um, we're just not really uh, sympathetic to uh, Solo being nominated for Best Costume this year. No, it's, again, uh, great, but, you know, a lot of other movies out there have had um, a great and original costume. I think originality has to be something they consider for an Academy Award, and it wasn't that original. IG69, you know, I came to this uh, recording today for this episode addressed to the nines and just really excited to see what you had to say about Star Wars costumes, and uh, we've had some great guests on uh, for this episode. Unfortunately, uh, you've been a colossal disappointment. Uh, that's how would I aim for every episode. Great. Well, um, that is all for this week. Uh, tell the three people out there listening where they can find us. Three people are still listening? Oh, my God. Well, two of them are chained in our basement just uh, to do tests, uh, but there is one person out there who actually phones in uh, occasionally uh, letting us know they have been listening. Uh, we Russian trolls, yes. All right. Um, well, for all of our listeners, willing or unwilling, uh, you can follow us at Faking Star Wars um, on Twitter and Instagram, at Faking Star Wars, and on Facebook, uh, at facebook.com slash real faking star wars and if you have any interest in submitting a question to us on twitter please use the hashtag fsw radio and i promise that if you say that i am the worst person in the galaxy i will definitely read it next week you can also get official faking star wars t-shirts and other great gear such as mugs tapestries and submachine guns on http http colon slash slash teepublic.com that's teepublic.com slash user slash faking star wars if you'd like you can also follow me on twitter at duper storm for the low low price of $19.95 a month and you can only follow me if you can find me IG, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Do you think that you're kind of putting yourself on the um, the outer rim, as it were, of Star Wars fandom because uh, you were hurt as a little droid or somebody touched you in a way that just, you know, hurt your feelings and you don't want to be a part of fandom? I don't mind fandom. I just don't like Twitter. <laughs> well, if you are on Twitter and like what you hear um, and you want to take your uh, a sponsorship to the next level of the podcast, uh, go ahead and visit us on Patreon.com slash Faking Star Wars. Sign up. Become a patron. We will follow you on Twitter. And all the support that uh, we get from you, uh, you know, us fakers, allows us to create the content that uh, you really love. And we will give you a, a reward. For a dollar a month, we'll th- give you a shout out on the podcast. For five dollars a month, ten dollars a month, there's a whole different uh, set of rewards up there. And if you personally uh, agree to give a dollar a month for the rest of your natural life, I will send you a pepperoni pizza in the shape of the Millennium Falcon. Does that just mean you ate some of the pizza slices? 
Uh, I'm not going to comment on that. Have you written us a review yet? If not, please consider giving us a five-star or a one-star review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Uh, Go ahead and write a funny review, and we'll read it on the next episode. As always, stay tuned here to FakingStarWars.net for quality Star Wars comedy, parody, and satire. Thank you to all of you out there in the galaxy for listening. And may the foe be with you. See you next time.